Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and we are actually counting down days to the election here in Massachusetts. Joining me as as co-host today are Karen from Boston Red Cloaks and Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. And we've got some special guests today. Welcome back to Teresa English and Michelle Mellet. Hello. Hi. We're excited to have you back. Teresa, how, how's it going? Things have been chaotic and crazy and fun and exciting. Uh, running for office was not something I thought I would enjoy nearly as much as I am. It's been really fantastic talking to people and interacting with people on a different level. I'm, I'm great. Michelle, how's it going for you? You've been at this for a year now, right? I kicked off last November. This last, you know, it's going to be 11 days, 10, 11 days. I'm feeling the downward slope for sure. Also feeling, because I already early voted for myself, and there's like this overwhelming calm and peaceful state of zen I've reached, which is really amazing. Um, And I'm just feeling so good, so confident, so just at peace at like, this is the end I, I can see the finish line. Um, I'm feeling the strength and the power of all these women that we have running, running, having these Republicans scared to death that they're going to lose because they are. So <laughs> all of that is just culminating. It's going to be this like very important moment. And I'm just in such a good space. I'm really happy. I'm so happy to be here tonight. Michelle, what are the things that, what experiences have you had uh, that have surprised you about yourself or about uh, running a campaign? Right. I think over the year, um, especially with the kids at home and the husband at home and father-in-law at home, I think at first I really, I felt a lot of pressure to do everything and be everything to everyone all the time because they're all there. But slowly realizing that not only can I delegate, but I can teach my kids to be self-sufficient when I need them to be. And so we've all, like seven months later, are just these better, more efficient human beings. And we interact better because we know, like, there are just times of day that we all just do our own thing. We have that private time. And I feel so good that I've, that we've, you know, taught them these valuable kind of personality traits and, like, things to do when you're bored. Um, so that's been a great surprise and like relief that because going forward from March was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this with all these people here? (laughs) (laughs) But I got an office, like I fundraise it enough to have my own office here. And that was a big game changer and it really relieved a lot of pressure at home. So that's been great. Um, Realizing I've never fundraised in my life. I, I raised almost $12,000 for this campaign. It's incredible. Um, knowing that I did most of the work for myself for like six months and I, those numbers that came out in the primary, it, it's just all been really, it's great when you finally see all, you know, the brick by brick building uh, an empire like finally come together. And so that's been the best part of this campaign for sure. Um, well, it's all going in the right direction for you. So pleased. Uh, Teresa, what, what surprised you along the way or maybe didn't surprise you? I think every step of this has been surprising. You know, back in March, I would have never thought that we would be on this podcast having this conversation. And my husband and my kids have been my biggest cheerleaders. And 
yeah, I've got to echo Michelle on this. This has been a this has been a great time for our family. We've learned how to communicate better. Um, I think we get along better because we are able to say, hey, this is not the right moment to have this conversation. Can we talk about this later? Uh, really respecting boundaries has been so important. And I have a, a, he's 12, so he'll be a teenager soon. And so we're starting to have these conversations about consent early. And this has been a great time to start those conversations. You both seem like you're really prepared to go the, the extra mile in the next week and a half. Absolutely. More, more brave for women. You've said that you have readjusted your family life and your uh, work life through COVID. But how about campaigning? How have you adjusted? Like you, you said, Michelle, you had to fundraise. How did you do that? Right. Well, I mean, I didn't for a couple of months because I felt... I felt like it was inappropriate to be calling people when they're facing so many hardships. Um, so I actually let that go for a little while because to me it was more important to expand the electorate. This is a district that hasn't had two people on the ballot for a decade. So I needed to reach out to those people in tangible ways. So I wrote 5,000 postcards between me and my volunteers. And then I dropped off um, without any contact um, like another 5,000 palm cards. So in that way, I was still able to connect with voters um, and really wake them up to realize, oh my gosh, there's a Democrat, there's a Democratic woman, like we need to know about her and know her name so when we go to vote, they recognize me. So that was my job, that's what I felt like was the most important thing to do and it paid off in the primary for sure. I, in some towns, I just looked at the numbers again. I mean, I got as many votes as, Ed Markey. That's incredible for a first-time candidate. It's just incredible. So that's what I did. And then the fundraising came later when I felt like, okay, I've gotten to, I've, you know, did that first touch for like 5,000 voters. Now I can try to go back to fundraising. Seemed like things were opening up, you know, when they were talking about going back to school, then I felt more comfortable, like, okay, I think can make phone calls and ask people for donations. Um, but yeah, that's not till the last month that I raised all this money. That sounds uh, very good. How about you, Teresa? How did COVID affect your campaigning? Well, I had the, I guess, fortune of never campaigning before a pandemic. <laughs> so it was, I have campaigned for other people for years, but being a candidate is very different than campaigning for someone. And there have been two periods in this campaign. The first was the summer where 12 to 18 hours a day I was doing campaign stuff so that I could get as much done before school started. Uh, because now I can't start campaigning until after 3.30 because I'm a teacher and we have contra contracted hours. So my days are very regimented now where eight to 3.30, I'm in teacher and mom only mode. And then at 3.30, I take off the teacher cap and I put on the candidate cap and do that until I fall asleep. Oh, that sounds, sounds very good. Uh, it's also meant that I've had to delegate a lot more and I'm relying a lot more heavily on people 
to get things done, which is not easy for someone that likes to be in control, but <laughs> I'm learning. You're both doing such an amazing job multitasking and managing to keep going on a campaign while doing work and having outside responsibilities. There was recently in the Boston Globe, the following headline, we should be embarrassed. In quiet extended session, legislature unfinished work will bleed past election day. I know you're not in the state house yet, but really interested in hearing your reflections on what some people see as a very frustrating time when COVID has impacted so many people. The legislature extended the deadline, their session from July 31st until action could be taken on a number of things, including the budget. And yet here we are almost at the end of October and very little has happened. So how, is, how, how do you respond to that? Let's, let's start with you, Michelle. Right, so I read that article and it, <clears throat> it really just solidified what I expected from, from the State House and kind of the culture there, which is to protect incumbents right, and keep things business as usual, keep the patriarchy in check. Um, but the reality is that they extended that deadline, but they didn't do anything. So what's the point? It's so obvious that they don't want to be held accountable for their votes when it comes to the Roe Act, when it comes to police reform, when it comes to everything that the progressive movement is pushing for. Um, people are there's a collective suffering and they're just tone deaf to it. When you let the eviction moratorium expire, that's, that's just, I mean, unconscionable. Then in the middle of a global pandemic, you're just gonna shrug your shoulders and be like, oh, we couldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of extending the deadline was to do something and you did nothing. So for me and you know all my fellow candidates, I feel like this is just gonna push people to vote for the new candidates and the new leadership because this is the perfect example of how things at the state house are not transparent, they're inefficient, they're ineffective, and they're not going to do the hard work that needs to get done in this like time of crisis. That is very well said. That is so true. Yeah, I'd like to add that one of the things that we've talked about before uh, and one of the things that I focus on during this campaign is the accountability and transparency at the state house, mm -hmm. right? All of these bills are stuck in committee and we have no idea what's happening. Are they close to being uh, allowed to come to the floor for a vote? Who knows? They could come out tomorrow or it could be in December, but people in the Commonwealth need action. Now we are, we are really, not sure I can find the words to just explain how dire the situation is becoming and the inaction is more than concerning. It feels like it hurts people who are living on the margins right now the most. So, you know, the moratorium, the housing moratorium that you brought up, we just interviewed someone from Jane Doe Inc. And that's a collection of groups that are working across the state to support survivors of domestic violence. And when you think about someone who is perhaps trapped at home and living with someone who's abusive and they're both they're both at home and they're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow when when there's no promise of any alternate housing they may remain at extreme risk to their personal safety if there's children involved those children may be not safe and yet we don't see anything happening right we I also don't see the budget moving forward so people are having trouble planning uh, because they don't know what's coming down the pike. 
Right. And that's adding stress to everyone. When you don't know if your government is going to come through for you, it's really stressful when you don't know if you're going to be able to live in your house because the the new guidance is for mediation, but that's not mediation is not a guarantee that you can stay in your home. It's just an additional process you have to go through. Mm-hmm. We're not doing any of our residents of the Commonwealth any favors by making things more difficult for them during these times. Then Michelle, I would ask you as a follow-up, what could happen instead is legislators could move things forward. They could call things to the floor for a vote and be very open and transparent. That would be a completely different way to campaign because then I would be able to know before I'm asked to fill out my little voting card, how did the legislator actually serve my interests? And yet that's not happening. What kinds of things do you think should move forward before too much further time passes? Um, Do you mean like specific bills or just yeah, do you feel like when you see there's there's election day coming up, it's less than two weeks away, are there things that you think should take place, should move forward in the state house before election day? Absolutely. I mean, of course, number one is the Roe Act. And for my case, I'm going against a Republican minority leader in the state house who said explicitly in letters to constituents that he will vote no against the Roe Act. But in public, when I call him out on Twitter or anywhere else, he acts dumb and he just pretends like he can't hear you. I, I mean, that's not leadership. That's cowardice. And it's just, again, the ineffective result of someone who's been there for two decades, over two decades, a generation. So that needs to move forward. I mean, in addition, I, I have signed the Act on Mass Pledge to ask for transparency and committee votes. And I will most certainly push for that once I'm elected. Um, I'm so glad Erica made it through the primary. She is just going to be a heavy hitter. Uh, I like to say it's going to be like having this investigative journalist at the state house. Um, it's really, she's going to be effective. And so I'm happy um, women like that are running and getting into office. In addition, the police reform, because what's going to happen next year is that we're going to have a shortfall of money because of coronavirus, right? Things have shut down. The incomes that used to be there are not there. So then we need to enact um, things like the fair share amendment where we're taxing the higher brackets because we need that money now more than ever, right? People need to pay their fair share so that the Commonwealth doesn't suffer. Um, So those are things I'm really looking at um, that they're just trying to hide behind this like, oh, let's just keep pushing back the vote because it's convenient for us in our political, you know, election cycle. So it's going to be too late when they get kicked out in 11 days. (laughs) Teresa, anything you want to add to things that you'd like to see move forward before election day if they could? Yeah, I think one of the holdups, which is unfortunate, is that Charlie Baker and others are waiting to see what the federal stimulus bill looks like if we ever get one. And they're waiting for the federal government to step up. And I think it's time for us to say, let's step up for each other. We can do this as a Commonwealth, but waiting for federal help that may never come is is not gonna work for anyone. It's harming every single one of our neighborhoods, every single one of our communities. 
And we already know that Donald Trump is unlikely to sign anything before the election. And if he loses, when he loses, then he's not going to sign anything before January 20th. So we can't afford to go through a winter with people homeless and out of jobs and lined up for hours to get food at a local community pantry. Like this is this is supposed to be America where we have neighborhoods and we look out for each other and everyone has their basic needs met and that's not happening and there's no plan. Like that's the thing that's killing me is we need a plan and we need to start moving forward with it. Do you feel that people in government, they are like snoozed? That's the feeling I get, that people are kind of snoozed, like they're waiting on seeing what happens, not only in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, but in the federal government. Everybody's just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Either he wins, either he loses. If he wins, we are pooped. But if he loses, I think things are gonna get crazy or crazier. So do you have an opinion about that? I have an opinion on almost everything. Um, <laughs> awesome. So, I, I think that governing is being, is being usurped by politics, right? They're two different things. There's campaigning and then there's governing. And there are some politicians who are more concerned about winning races and holding on to their power than they are about governing and actually doing what they were elected to do. Yes, you, Michelle, do you have some um, words of wisdom that you can give me so I can relax at least for until tomorrow morning? Sure, I, I feel like um, there's, you know, in, in addition to what Teresa is talking about, I think there are people in office that tend to just be reactionary, right? You've been there a long time, you only, do this knee-jerk reaction when people prod you and push you and activists show up in your office. Um, so that there's that reactionary bureaucracy versus people like me and Teresa who are agents of change and transformation, who have visionary leadership skills. And we're not thinking just about the world as it is, we're thinking about the world as it should be. So to have people in office that are definitive, that aren't afraid to make a decision instead of hiding behind a committee for three, six, 12 months, whatever it is, I think that's the kind of leadership we need and that we're gonna see in November because to me, in my heart, I feel like this election in Massachusetts will be a referendum on Republicans. And sure, Massachusetts, people are like, why are you running? We already have a majority. Democrats have majority. That's not good enough because the ones in office are ineffective. You know, they get in there and then it's like you get scared and you just want to do what DeLeo says to do. And we're all here to say, like, we're not going to be the ones that are just the usual soldiers that's, you know, stay in step with the leadership because this is what happens. It's just, you know, nothing gets done. You get pushed, you get pushed back, you get deadlines that 
disappear and it keeps going on and on. So I think people are tired of that and they are paying attention to that and they don't, they don't want to see that anymore in the state house. And honestly, moms get things done. <laughs> you know, you don't have time to thump around. Take care of it. Do it now. Let's move on. <laughs> so true. It's funny because um, in terms of showing leadership, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and that happened after we had our first conversation with you, New Jersey, I don't think of as the most leadership oriented for reproductive justice state, but New Jersey's governor stepped up and said, okay, we're going to pass state legislation and showed real leadership. And that is very much a contrast with what we have here. Before we sign off, tonight happens to be the next presidential debate. So I don't want to leave without um, asking you for your thoughts. And for this one, I'd love to start with you, Teresa. You teach students about civics. So I'd love to have your take and then Michelle would love to hear your take on what you've seen or what you hope to see tonight. So the idea of a debate was originally about the exchange of ideas. Lately, that is not what we have been seeing from debates. They've become almost like a sporting competition, right? Where each team has a side and then we know the, we know the winner and loser because of the narrative that was spun beforehand. So I have never been a fan of watching debates because they're very showy and it just doesn't seem like a lot gets done. And I don't expect this debate to be much different. I mean, we've heard, we've been hearing from Joe Biden for a really long time. We know his, we know Joe Biden. We have heard far too much from Donald Trump and we know Donald Trump. So I don't expect there to be anything different. I think it's going to be ugly and the mute button might help, but I can just see Donald Trump storming off. I mean, when a petulant child misbehaves, you get what you get. Michelle, how about you? Are you buckling up? No, honestly, remember my Zen bubble. So part of that is, you know, if you're a Buddhist, you don't consume hateful <laughs> rhetoric. You don't consume propaganda. Um, you don't consume misogyny. And that's all that comes out of number 45's mouth, right? So for me, I'm of the opinion there should be a moratorium on debates, on press conferences, on any kind of performative part of politics because this man just had coronavirus. He's, he's infected. Like, I just don't trust this guy. I don't, I don't trust anything about him. And I, I just don't care at this point, 11 days out, um, there's nothing he could say, there's nothing Joe Biden can say. It, it's just a point of national healthcare crisis. Let's focus on that. Let's get through this nightmare. Let's have someone that has some sense of compassion and believes the science to get in there and, and you know, we'll spend the next 10 years fixing all the damage he's done. Um, so yeah, I'm not watching that. I got other stuff to do. Well, I'm telling you, um, you're both brilliant, brave, your spirits, your compassion, and your concentration on the real issues is, uh, is enlightening. Where can people find out more information about you? Michelle, since we've got you here. Right, so they can visit my website, which is my name, Michelle Mullet. Dot com. You can also follow on Twitter, and that handle is at Vote for Mullet. And then on um, Facebook and Instagram, it's at Michelle Mullet 2020. And Teresa? 
So my website is VoteTeresaEnglish.org. I'm on Twitter at, at um, Teresa4MA, that's F-O-R-M-A, and then on Facebook and Instagram at VoteTeresaEnglish. Uh, we're also having a trivia event on Zoom this Saturday, if anyone would like to join in. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate following up, and we hope the next time we speak to you, we'll have lots of other milestones to discuss. We'll say goodnight, and we will also say namaste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, bye. I had a great time. Good to see you all.